Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks that a move. I'm Corey Johnson. October 20 gives us episode number 121. Well, just ahead, an oil field development company blames a weak quarter on semiconductors? And Ulta Beauty might be prettier than the stock market thinks. And remaking an obnoxious business, Perion Network CEO Doran Gerstel takes the company away from the business of downloaded crapware to functional software. It's an interesting turn for this interesting company. We'll have that story and more. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight. With ERA, you can customize your company watch lists, track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA. A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to the drill down on your smart speaker. Heck, listen every day. Just turn to that smart speaker and say, hey, smart speaker, play the drill down podcast and you'll hear our latest show. Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind Stocks and a Move and joining me for a change, a guest host, Siobhan Fields with us. Siobhan, glad to have you on The Drill Down. Well, thank you, CJ. Here we are reunited once again, though this time it's not the TV studio, but on the one and only Drill Down podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I really appreciate it. We're glad to have you. Siobhan's a business journalist. Yes, a former colleague and my old producer from uh, Bloomberg Television in Los Angeles. Uh, she writes for Forbes as a professor of entrepreneurship at Pepperdine University in beautiful Malibu, California. Joins us from LA right now. Um, Siobhan, in Isaac's absence, give us the three most important developments in the world of business today, according to you. Corey, let's get to it. The number one story you need to know today is about ExxonMobil. The Texas-based oil and gas company is said to be reconsidering projects in Mozambique and Vietnam, according to a report from the Wall Street Journal. Exxon appointed five new members to its board this year and is under pressure from investors and environmentalists to dial back its investment in fossil fuels. Yeah, and really crazy to um, the... Uh you know, you'd think that Exxon would be drilling down on more drilling, right? You'd think they would be, when with oil prices so high and gas prices so high, this seems like the time that they really ought to be getting more of the ground. There's different ways to manage their, um, the effect that they have on the environment than just not pumping oil and gas. We're clearly not going to stop pumping oil and gas. Um, uh, Exxon just seems to, it, it's, a, it's such a different company than Chevron, whom you see really embracing their ESG uh, ambitions. Number two on the list of the most important business stories of the day you need to know about is Facebook. The beleaguered Menlo Park tech company is reportedly going to announce a name change over the next week. Facebook has come under increasing pressure over the past months to address the impact its social media business has on users. The name change seems to be the latest ploy to distract users from the regulatory scrutiny and other big issues it's facing. What do you think, Corey? Is changing the name of Facebook going to reshape the perception of the company? I suppose it depends on the name. I mean, I mentioned earlier, uh, 
know, different different types of software, malware that's downloaded or used to be downloaded, right? Crapware. If they named it crapware, that would change the perception slightly. Um, I, I should say, in full disclosure, I still own some sh Facebook shares in my 401k. So um, it's not a significant holding, but nonetheless, um, it is a conflict. Look, um, their name is MUD and has been for a long time. One of my strategies with this stock used to be to buy it for my personal account. Whenever Mark Zuckerberg was testifying before Congress, he used to always seem to dip then and come right back afterwards. But I do think that there is a sense that the tide is turning a little bit, that people start to realize that um, there are some uh, negative effects on our society. Um, and Facebook's changing its name is just, you know, lipstick on the pig. And finally, the third most important business story of the day is about how difficult it will be to fly home for Thanksgiving. Yes, it is that time of year again where we all descend on overrun airports to fly home for the holiday. And security checks may take even longer this year because just 60% of TSA workers have had a COVID shot. If the remaining 40% are not double jabbed by Thanksgiving week, TSA may let them go. And that means longer delays at the airport. The deadline for the TSA vaccine mandate is just 33 days away, Corey, and the Thanksgiving holiday is just 35 sleeps away. So what do you make of all of these potential snafus at the airport? Will you still be game? I just remember that you spent a Thanksgiving with me once, not too long ago, maybe six years ago. That is true. I did. I, I stood in those TSA lines, flew up to Oakland Airport and and had a lovely Thanksgiving with uh, your family up there. Yeah, um, I think that uh, it's unbelievable to me. These people don't, who, are, who are working the, and with so many humans have not gotten vaccinated yet. Uh, TSA is, can be a nightmare. Hiring is very hard right now. Um, and TSA is in a bind, but they will surely fire them if they don't uh, get those vaccines because they're not just more likely to contract it, they're more likely to spread it. Uh, it's unbelievable to me those people haven't uh, done that for themselves, but really done it for all the people that they're allegedly serving. Absolutely. And it is a high contact environment uh, going through security. There are people going through your luggage, touching your things, patting you down. Touching um, you. So, yes. Touching I me. Feel, what the heck? I would feel much better if I knew that, you know, we were all double vaxxed. So, Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Ulta Beauty. All right. Beautiful. Ulta Beauty, it trades with the ticker ULTA. Shares were down 2%, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 53%. What is the story with Ulta Beauty, CJ? Well, um, you know, so this, the company had a, a, a rare analyst day yesterday. They had sort of investor day. That was about four hours long. It's the first time they've done one in three years. And the stock, as you mentioned, has had a terrific run because they've been opening up a lot of stores and just doing everything really well. There's a somewhat recently appointed CEO. You know, when I, as I started to research, I hadn't listened to the, the analyst day until the wee hours of this morning. And I kind of wanted to see what was out there, what people were saying about it. I stumbled on the CNBC report about it with, with one of the CNBC shows. Maybe I shouldn't have said it was CNBC, but it, it was so dumb, Siobhan. I was... I got so mad watching this. The person they had, the supposed expert on the company, the commentary could have been about any company at all. It was new CEOs sandbagging it. They've got uh, margins are pretty good. They've got the, they're changing their growth targets. I think they're going to beat numbers. I like it. They're going to beat numbers. So I bought some. I like it. I learned absolutely nothing about this business. They could have been talking about an oil services company or a software company or a bank or Bitcoin. Like, I like it. They're sandbagging it. 
I like it. I bought some. I, it was so, I wanted information and I got so little information and it was so frustrating. I like, for example, like what the hell does a company do? Right. That's kind of important. Yeah. That's what I'd like to know. Tell us what's interesting about it. So they've got over a thousand sh- stores, right? This company's gone, business gone from nowhere to over a thousand stores. And yet they continue to add stores. It's very difficult when you're at that size to find good places to open stores but they're adding new stores, same store sales, of course, are increasing those stores. But digitalization is so important to the way these guys work. Uh, importantly, in the way that they um, are, are trying to understand their individual customers, in particular, luring new customers through mass appeal items, but then upselling them to prestige items. Maybe mm-hmm. bringing someone in for shampoo and selling them expensive makeup. Maybe bringing someone in for makeup and selling, selling them a skincare routine or whatever. But that kind of upsell from mass to prestige is a really big deal. And this company is using data in some fascinating ways to personalize their offerings to customers, moving away from the less effective advertising techniques of mass market coupons, personalization, a key digital focus for these guys. Here's CEO David Kimball. They continue to buy mass, but then they uh, engage in prestige. And that's obviously good for Ulta, and it's good for our brand partners, both on the mass and the prestige side. So we'll lean into programs like that. We'll also continue to strengthen our efforts on personalization. The more we can be pinpointed and targeted, the more efficient we'll be in both uh, you know, leveraging our spend, but also more efficient in actually driving positive consumer reaction. When we're broad-based, you know, the, the reaction and the engagement is lower. When we're personalized and pinpointed and targeted, we have very high levels of engagement, uh, and that, that also both drives sales and positive impact from our guests. So we're, we're confident in our journey, and it's a focus area for us uh, to continue to drive going forward. So I, to me, it was really fascinating uh, a meeting they had. It was a long one, but you know their ability to use technology and stay ahead of the someday ultimate competition of Amazon has been really interesting, using digital techniques, but recognizing they have an advantage by having a physical store. And most of women who shop at Ulta and some guys like me, presumably You're an Isaac, Ulta guy, huh? Do you know how yeah. Isaac is addicted to moisturizers? Really? Okay. But is he a Sephora or an Ulta guy? I say it, he's Ulta. I don't actually know. Knowing him, he's got somewhere fancier. I am an Ulta he guy He might be sometimes. Neiman Marcus. Yeah. He, he might be Saks Fifth Avenue type, type you moisturizer. You know about my Jack Black situation? I do not. Please do tell. Uh, ex-girlfriend. This is when we drank when I mentioned an ex-girlfriend. Ex-girlfriend started Jack Black, this fantastic men's skincare company. And she once sent me a care package and now I'm addicted. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah, good good. Stuff. Good. Well, you know, uh, I, I, uh, I'll I go between Ulta and Sephora. I, I don't have a lot of brand loyalty, I'll, I'll have to say. Uh, it depends where I am and what is closest. So I'm very interested to learn about these techniques um, that the CEO just just spoke of to personalize and pinpoint and um, and, you know, get some loyalty from a customer like me. I don't know how they do that. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Radius Health. Big day for Radius Health. Radius Health, it trades with the ticker RDUS. Shares were up 17%, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 35%. Now, what is the story with Radius Health? So Radius Health is a biotech company um, that got a readout today. A readout being, of course, results from a trial. And the results were positive. They've got an experimental therapy called, um, I'm going to see if I can say it right, 
electostrant, and it met its primary endpoint um, in a late-stage trial for certain patients with breast cancer. 466 patients were in the study, and they found that uh, this this uh, treatment, uh, electra, uh, what, let me look at it, electostrant, God, I hate these names of these drugs, Elasistrant? Sure. Okay, Elasistrant. Uh, they've already out, so they, it was interesting because they had out licenses already, this Italian company, Marinari Group, but, uh, or Menarini Group, but uh, Elasistrant uh, became the first um, estrogen receptor degrader to show positive data um, against the standard of care, standard of care being what would they would have done otherwise, for um, ER positive, HER2 negative advanced or metastatic breast cancer. What is an estrogen receptor degrader, you might ask, Siobhan? Well, you did read my mind, Corey. Please, please do tell. Well, I've actually done a lot of research over this uh, on this topic. So um, let's review breast cancer. So there are three indications of cancerous tumors or cancer types of breast cancer. And this is for every stage of cancer. It's meant to be stage one or you're all the way to stage four and it's spread throughout your body. Uh, 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 the cancer cells itself have these characteristics in breast cancer. They may have any one of three of three category or, or characterizations, or all three, or none of the three. But it'll have an estrogen receptor. It'll be ER positive, which are the cells, the 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 estrogen cells, the receptors allow them to use the hormone estrogen to grow. So an anti-estrogen hormone can block the growth of that cancer cell, or it might have a progesterone receptor. Same deal. It mm -hmm. grows with the progesterone, a naturally occurring thing in the body, but progesterone can lead to growth. So slowing down the progesterone in a woman's body would slow down um, that uh, kind of cancer cell. Or it could have the HER2 gene. HER2 positive cancers, they produce too much of a growth-promoting protein called HER2. So you could have estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, and HER2 gene positive. You could have estrogen receptor positive. You could have estrogen receptor. Imagine a grid where you've sort of got any one of these possibilities or none of these possibilities. That dictates what kind of treatment can help deal with the breast cancer. So this elasistrand is for estrogen receptor positive and HER2 negative, a certain type of breast cancer. And I can't remember how common that is. Um, Goldman Sachs looked at this and said that this could mean, it's gonna be about a $400 million business for this company. Uh, approved in a with a licensing deal up to 700 million mm. to 70 million a year in revenues but because they licensed this to Menarini they limited their downside yes but they also limited their upside so on a day like today the stock moved quite a bit but they will not uh, reap all the benefits from this positive study they talked about that the new CEO Kelly Martin talking about how uh, they had a good partner in Menarini that had taken away some of the event risk I don't know if they knew it would be so positive when the news came out today, but here's what he had to say about it a couple months ago. Elasistran uh, is now partnered with our good partner, uh, Menorini Group from Italy. Uh, that transaction, in my opinion, last summer was the most important thing over the last 12 months that we got accomplished. Uh, we like the space, meaning the breast cancer space. It is a crowded and sophisticated space. We do have with Menorini the lead molecule from a timeline point of view. And we would also characterize that data readout as upside to us, given the transaction that we did last year, which took out uh, the event risk for us. So I hope it also takes away a lot of the risk for the women suffering from this uh, particular kind of cancer, this particular kind of breast cancer, this estrogen receptor positive, HER2 negative um, type of breast cancer. Scary stuff. I'm glad to have yeah. 
more help out there in the market. Couldn't agree more. All right, Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Baker Hughes. All righty. Baker Hughes, it trades with the ticker BKR. Shares were down 6%. But again, for the last 12 months, shares were up 86%. Now, what is the story with Baker Hughes? Yeah, Baker Hughes is a giant. Baker Hughes is, by some counts, the second largest, second to Halliburton only, as one of the largest oil field services company, $28 billion revenue, or $28 billion market cap for this company. But when you think oil services, you wouldn't think this company could get away with blaming semiconductor shortages for a weak quarter, but they did. So let's talk about the quarter they reported, the Q3 overall. Pretty good uh, from what I can see. Revenue's up 1% to $5.1 billion. Profits of $8 million compared to a loss of the year before, of about $200 million. Um, but there, there are four um, segments, the smallest of which was uh, really the victim of the semiconductor issue. But Oil field services up 5%. Turbo machinery and solutions, process solutions up 3%. Oil field equipment down 17% for obvious reasons. Uh, oil prices during the quarter and some hurricane stuff. But digital solutions up only 1.4% to $510 million. Yes, digital solutions is a business we might not think about when we think about Baker Hughes, but very important for these guys. And it just has been a struggling business. And interestingly, uh, again, they're focusing on the problem that semiconductors gave them and getting equipment in the field, slowing down their um, implementation of both the equipment and the software behind it. Here's Chief Financial Officer Brian Worrell. We did, you know, see a few challenges in the quarter. And, and I'd say the supply chain um, is primarily focused around uh, electrical component shortages, uh, largely around semiconductors, boards and displays. Um, that led to, to really some lower convertibility in the quarter. And, um, you know, there, there's real tightness in supply in that market. We did have a quality issue from one of our suppliers that came out late in the quarter. And with the tightness in the, the supply chain and in the supplier base, that typically could have been rectified within the quarter. That That is, uh, you know, certainly had an impact and made some, um, uh, made some of the shipments uh, slip out. So when I hear slip out, I hear what they're saying is, the shipments are still going to happen. They're just pushed back maybe to the next quarter. Maybe there's a little more upside for the coming quarter uh, if those shipments are no longer pushed out. Interesting. All right. Another one to watch. So coming up, we've got a really interesting company, a company that used to just sell some really obnoxious, annoying software that you couldn't really get off your computer, known as crapware to, to the, uh, the initiated. Well, new CEO, new business problems to solve, uh, and some new solutions in the world of software. From Perion Network, the CEO, Doran Gerstel, joins us from Tel Aviv right after this. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. As promised, we are joined right now by Doran Gerstel, the CEO of Perion Network. And Hi, I, just, I can never say the name of the company or even read about the company for years without thinking about the Kansas tune, Carry On, My Wayward Son. But no, Perion is a very different <laughs> company. 
yeah. based in Israel, uh, where I presume you are right now, Doran. Yes, I am. Um, yes, thank I you am. for then joining us at this late hour for you. When I looked at Perion years ago, uh, and I looked at shorting the stock, um, because I thought that it was, a, you know, on one hand, a pernicious business in that it seemed like it was a, a company that was responsible for, uh, before you joined the company, for click advertising, for pop-up windows, particularly targeted at people who maybe didn't understand what they were clicking on, um, and that drove revenues. And that there were technological changes being implemented by the masters of the internet, that is Google, to make it less possible to give those pop-up ads and deliver those pop-up ads and, and trick users into, or at least let users click on things that maybe they didn't intend to click on and find themselves um, subscribing to things they didn't intend to subscribe on. That didn't seem like a business that was going to last forever. You're pursuing something very different. Absolutely. Talk to me about what, what the business is today. How do you guys make money? Okay. So the, the main decision that uh, we took uh, back then in 2017 is definitely how we can approach and, and being sustainable business in advertising technology. A, you know, a business that is driven by the two monopoly, maybe three of them, which is the Facebook, the Google, and to some extent the Amazon, um, a lot of volatility, volatility in this business. And I think that uh, the main strategic decision that we took was that we need to diversify our business. And the diversification was done on the point of view of the chief digital officer of any giving brand. And the chief digital officer was very much responsible of spending the digital advertising budget across the three main pillars, or as some call it, channels of digital advertising. That's search advertising, right? social advertising, and display, which is content website and, and CTV. Those are the three main channels. Sure. So, and, how, and the decision, you, just one sentence, decision yeah. that we took was that we shouldn't be affected by the fact that the chief digital officer is allocating budget and shifting budget from one channel to another. So what we are doing, we are offering cross-channel digital advertising to capitalize on any changes the chief digital officer is doing between those three channels. That's what we're doing. So, as, so as the as the, uh, I'm trying to think of the right metaphor. Maybe if, if as the as the chief digital officer is sitting in the kitchen and deciding ah, some more shallots, a little more olive oil, how about some salt? You, regardless of which way they go, you know they're going to be using some component of all three, and you want to sort of be able to profit from any one of those. Do you end up therefore as the the sort of the the I don't know if I can extend the metaphor further to the hands of the chef? So the chief digital officer is using Perion to decide how to deploy those uh, those uh, budgets, and even more than that, it's uh, as as you know when it comes to digital advertising is known as the open the open web, and the open web has two sides. It has a demand side, which is close to the brand and the agency, and it has a supply side, which is close to the publisher. And what we decided that within those three channels. We need to control both the demand side and the supply side and establish between the demand and supply asset that we have what we called an intelligent hub. Now, not to make it too sophisticated, in a way, when we're coming to any brand and when we're saying, okay, so it's not just the three pillars, 
it also the fact that we are controlling an end to end from the brand campaign all the way to the publisher in order to provide maximum control and transparency for the advertiser that's the that's that's the big thing because in our industry most of the companies that i'm aware of were taking position they're either on the demand side dsps or the other on the supply side ssps Parent decided to take this diversification into another level that we are very much control both end, allowing us to have way more grip on our business. And in this case, being translated the fact that we are providing guidance to 2022 because we have way, way more transparency of budget and transparency as far as our customer, which allows me as a CEO to manage our operational decision, not just for the next quarter, but also for the next year. And everything is, is visibility. And, and everything is, and we achieve this visibility through larger visibility we're taking, we're getting from our customer. So is this essentially you, you act as kind of the, uh, the tiller for the chief digital, digital strategist and kind of decide where to go, but you end up by being able to, to be the, the, the tiller, the, the, the vessel through which uh, the advertising dollars flow, you're, you're connecting the two and, and you're able to, to benefit from Absolutely. changes. Absolutely. So not just, not just advice which pillar, but also providing here an end-to-end solution. So in a way, that gives us and our customer uh, way, way better control of what's happening because there is so many intermediator in, the, in, in, in advertising, sure. as you can imagine. So they're always looking about reduce the number of vendors. They're always looking about consolidate reports. They want to understand you know, how things are very much being uh, activated. Uh, yeah, and you don't look, I get to- that with this business, right? So I, I've got all these companies that want to sell, send me and sell me reports on how well the podcast is doing and which advertisers are responding here and where my listeners are and how my Absolutely. listeners are changing and how they're growing and where they're growing. And it's like, I, I would, would love it if I could have one or two pieces of data instead of the six or seven and all the vendors coming out of the woodwork as, as the drill down podcast grows. And I see exactly what you're saying. Absolutely. That's, that's the pain point that we realized back then. And that's how we shift the company. Uh, it was quite a drama, by the way, in 2015 where, you know, Chrome, you know, blocked very much what Perrin was doing, and we had to reinvent ourselves. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, it took us very difficult, uh, you know, almost five years to be in, in this position. Uh, when when I joined, we had uh, more than well, 100 let's, years. let's talk for just a minute about that, what happened there back in, in uh, 2017 when when Google Chrome, which is which is on its way to becoming what it is now, the most popular browser on the, on the Internet, um, changed the way that cookies could be kept and recorded. So it really kind of just obliterated the, the heart of Perion's revenues. Yeah, I mean, the fact that in, it, back in 2000, I think it was 2014, 2000, yeah, mid-14, yeah. Um, oh, sorry, the company, course, yeah, business, yeah. company business back then was very much based on toolbars. Those right. toolbars that you install, and to some extent, even... For most professionals, this admin, they couldn't get rid of. 
Right. You and click on something and install a toolbar on your on your browser and you couldn't get rid of it even if you went into your preferences. It was really hard to do. You just have to delete Chrome and re-download it. It was a glue which is impossible to get rid of. And in any case, what happened here is that you bypass Google because within those toolbars, you're able to search directly to Expedia. And Google said, hey, this is this is our browser. This is our business. How come there is a way to bypass it? So it took them, I think, in over two weeks, and the whole business collapsed um, because they blocked the opportunity. Well, they blocked the opportunity, you know, to use um, those toolbars. Um, it was whole industry that was very much based on it uh, collapsed overnight. Um, Two years, two years later, you know, I joined and it was a lot of assets in the company that needs to be tuned to the new, you know, uh, reality. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, what, what we always need to remember, the consolidate dollars that is being invested by advertiser is close to half a trillion dollars a year. Enormous. That's a that's a huge, huge, huge business, and um, we we find our niche, we find our offering, which we're trying to differentiate from others, um, and in the course of not even five years, we're able um, to grow our business significantly. Currently, it's in the rate of 32 percent year over year growth, and very profitable business. And um, we like the fact that uh, we are, I think, one of the few, uh, you know, if you take Google aside, that is very much aiming to uh, to own the two sides of the open internet, the supply side and the demand side, as I mentioned, which gives us huge yeah. leverage. You guys have done a handful of acquisitions lately, including a recent video acquisition. What what are you trying to bolster? What capabilities? Are you trying to bolster? Does that give us a, a, a window onto what you see the future, the near-term future of advertising? So, yeah, no. So, first of all, I mentioned the chief digital officer that drive the strategy, but what really drive everything is the consumer behavior. Sure. The consumer behavior, and that's something which I think you know. Uh, it's it's they the consumer behavior engage way more to video content than text and way more to video advertising than to display. So video has become so popular um, in terms of the consumer and the reaction was immediate by advertiser. They switch more and more dollars into video advertising. Um, and as a company that understand this shift and uh, what we known in the market is our high impact video ad units. What do I mean by high impact video ad units? Is that the market is has like two sides. The majority of it is a standard, it's standard ad, standard video, something that you are quite familiar. When I'm talking about the high impact ad units, it says for instance, interactive capability between the user and you know the, the video unit. And those kind of very special you know, type of units called, you know, high impact ad units or rich media. Some define this market as a rich media. 
In general, we're trying very much to take ourselves from the standard because we don't have any advantage on, uh, you know, setting standard uh, ad units if it's display or video. So what is this acquisition? The acquisition is first and foremost to have an asset, which is a video monetization platform. That's yeah. one for publisher. Second, what really interests us that they have a technology which is a video player. It's on, on live, live video player. We need a video player to very much control the quality and the, the quality of our high impact video units. The fact that most of advertisers or ad network like us using third party, you know, players limit their capabilities. Now we're taking this capability to extreme because of what I mentioned, the interactive. So you need to control also what's happening on the publisher side. And, and again, from an end-to-end perspective, on one hand, you're getting the, the ad campaign. On the other hand, you want to control all the way to the destination how it's how the video is being run by having the player and how even the monetization is being done for the publisher so we are strengthening our partnership not just for with the advertiser i mentioned the chief digital officer but also for with the publisher on the other hand and it sounds like you're also getting rid of the gatekeeper and you know the gatekeeper that you have to deal with with google for example you kind of get away away from by having the player itself Absolutely, absolutely. And the whole idea is that if you actually not relying on those third party things, you can take your solution to an, to another level because you, you own all the pieces, let me put it this way, the entire supply chain. Well, you certainly can see uh, that desire, at least in your results and in your profitability. It's impressive from a, an operating level, from an EBITDA level, whatever, however you want to look at it. Um, and the, yeah, and the we growth are, resuming uh, after business that was uh, uh, on, on fumes not too long ago. Uh, yeah. We really appreciate your time, uh, Dora Gersel, um, the CEO of Perion. Thank you. For you know what Perion means in Hebrew? I don't. Okay. But Episcopalian, my Hebrew is terrible. Although I went to NYU <laughs> and there was some Yiddish required. All right. All right. So Perion is prospect. Yeah. Now I know. There you learn go. something every day on the drill down, I hope. Thank you, Doran. Doran, you're still Thanks the so CEO much. Perion. My pleasure. Thanks, Corey. Really appreciate your time. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have one, and we're going to talk about that profitability at Perion and uh, how robust it has been despite the pandemic uh, and a really rough time at the beginning of 2020 that we all had. This company's doing quite well, turning a lot, a lot of profits. What kind of profitability are we talking about? We'll have that number, the drill down bite, when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to Drill Down every day. I strongly encourage you to do so, strongly. And that's easier if you use your smart speaker, turn to that smart speaker. Say something like, hey, Alexa, play the Drill Down podcast. You can listen to our latest show. All right, Perion, Siobhan, interesting company, mm -hmm. um, uh, growing, uh, as I mentioned, growing on the top line, profitable in that growth. Indeed, they had a, a $10 million profit uh, last year and the year 2020, the difficult year that 2020 was. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they uh, uh, had a you know really nice profit growth or revenue growth, I should say. The revenues hit three hundred twenty-eight million dollars for the quarter, up from two hundred sixty-one the year before. So uh, really strong growth uh, for this company. There's your drill on by three hundred twenty-eight million sixty-three thousand dollars in revenue for Perion, principally in display and search advertising revenues. Um, and like as, as we just heard, the company is growing away from scandal and crapware. That's nice. You know, I I still cannot get some of this crapware off off my computer. I still uh, get bugged with McAfee updates and all kinds of things. Cannot well, figure out how to get it off Clicking on all those links, Siobhan. <laughs> Practice some computer hygiene, for God's sake. Well, look, I, I need a hygienist to come over here and and, <laughs> and get this junk off my laptop. Every time I, I turn it on or off, it's it's asking me about, you know, updating this and that. I, I, I mean, really, if someone comes up with a solution to get this stuff off your laptop, I'm in. I'm all the way in. Um, well, clearly these guys have found a way to get achieve that 25% year-over-year growth uh, without it. Um, Siobhan, thank you very much. Glad to have you on. Will you come back tomorrow, please? I will be here tomorrow. It's Fantastic. Thursday. It's a new day. We will once again be reunited, Corey. What could be better? Not a damn thing. I'm so no. glad. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening to The Drill. I'm Corey Johnson. Uh, Siobhan Field, uh, guesting with us uh, today and tomorrow and for the remainder of this week. I guess Webster, wherever the hell he is, is continues as our executive producer. And Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down's production of the Business Podcast Network.